Begin reading at verse 14, we find the word of God saying, And Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwelleth between the cherubims, thou art God. Even thou alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. Lord, bow down thine ear, hear, open, Lord, thine eyes and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which hath sent him to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations and their lands. They have cast their gods into the fire. They were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood, stone, therefore they have destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord our God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou only. Then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, That which thou hast prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. I believe the Lord spoke to my heart this past Wednesday in my prayer time, and the message to give to this church is, I have heard your prayer. I have heard your prayer. Who doesn't like receiving the letter? Hezekiah received a letter, but who doesn't like receiving the letter? When I was in college, I'd go to the mailbox sometimes two times a day to try to see if I can get a letter from family or friend back home just to see what's happening back up in the mountains. We all like to receive a letter from a family member or a loved one or a friend even. What father would not like to receive a letter from a son in a faraway country serving his country uh, receiving a letter of how good he's doing? Uh, what about uh, sometime you might receive a letter from a loved one uh, that says that illness has passed and their health has been returned? There have been many of a college student that stood uh, in the doorway of a mailbox uh, for week in and week out waiting for that acceptance letter uh, to come from a university to which uh, they have applied for. Those are great letters to receive. But sometimes we get letters we don't like to receive, much the same way as Hezekiah. There have been times people have gotten a form letter from a lawyer's office uh, indicating that maybe your spouse uh, had better plans than what you thought. Uh, maybe you get a letter from the electric company saying that uh, you're in the rears on a payment, therefore this is a cutoff notice. Or maybe you received a letter from the banker uh, that basically says that uh, you're behind in your payments and therefore uh, foreclosure has begun upon the house you're living in or repossession in the car that you're potentially driving. These are letters that almost seemingly come right from the enemy itself. That was a type of letter that Hezekiah, king of Judea, uh, received from Sennacherib, uh, who was the king of Assyria uh, himself. Sennacherib was a bitter enemy to Israel, uh, to Judah, and to any nations that got in his way uh, during that time. I believe that Sennacherib basically told uh, Hezekiah that if you all do not submit to me, if you do not let us overtake you, we're going to do to you and your country the same thing that we've done to anybody else uh, that's got in our way. I believe that this was a powerful man. He was a powerful leader with a powerful army. And yet I believe uh, that Sennacherib was that type of a man. He was intimidating. And yet he promised to destroy Judea if they did not bow down and do what what the bidding was to say. I don't believe anybody in their right mind would want to receive a letter like that. 
I don't believe anybody in their right mind would want to receive a letter uh, from such a ruthless king as was the king of Assyria. Uh, Sennacherib, he bragged about his military accomplishments. He bragged about his military power. He bragged about his own ego and his own personal pride. He even had the guts to defy the living God of Judea by saying, we have defeated all other gods and the God that you serve will be no match for us because I'm the great Assyrian king. I have a great army within my midst. And to make matters worse, I believe that this news came, this bad letter came at the height and the pinnacle of the the career of Hezekiah. Hezekiah had given his best years to Judah. He had given his best years trying to reform and trying to revive, if you will, uh, the land of Judea. Uh, they had gone into a spiritual downfall. And, uh, and Hezekiah uh, was bringing it back to life, if you will. And Hezekiah had accomplished some remarkable uh, things within his toolage of being there. But before we look at the accomplishments of Hezekiah, let me point out with you this morning, if I may, that Hezekiah was not born with a silver spoon in his mouth. As a matter of fact, Hezekiah was the son of Ahaz, perhaps one of the most wicked kings uh, that Judah ever had. Uh, Hezekiah had brought Baal worship back on. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, uh, not Hezekiah, but uh, 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 Amos himself, uh, Ahaz rather, was a wicked king. He got on the throne at 20 years of age, and he did not do those things that were right uh, in the sight of the Lord. As a matter of fact, he followed the steps of the previous corrupt kings. It even burned his own son in the fire. All the other deities and false gods that God had driven out, he invited them all back in. It was Ahaz himself that allowed incense to be burnt to Baal in high places and on the mountaintops and even under the trees. It was deplorable in the sight of the Almighty God. This was the type of a home that Hezekiah was born in and lived under. So if that had been the case, where did Hezekiah, what helped him to be a good man? What helped him to be a great king? He certainly did not learn that at the feet of his father. One of the things that I believe he had a good heart. He had a heart toward the things of God. And he did the those things that God wanted him to do. As God-fearing man, Hezekiah wanted to restore the spiritual life of Judea. This was not a hurry-up job. It had to be a thorough job. And yet before he could rebuild, there had to be a lot of, demol uh, had to be a lot of uh, demodeling, if you will, or demolition, if you will, during that time. And the Bible said in 2 Kings 18.4 that Hezekiah demolished all of the idol worship. That was necessary uh, because God God had totally rejected all the false gods and totally rejected all the worship to those other gods. They had to be driven out. Now that background in mind, let's look briefly at Hezekiah's accomplishments and the things that he did to please God. The scripture says, after these things and these acts of faithfulness, after these things and these acts of faithfulness, after these things and these acts of faithfulness. Isn't it amazing how Satan wants to attack us and Satan wants to mess with us when God begins to bless us. It was only after he was faithful doing these things that Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judea and encamped against the fortified cities thinking to win them for himself. Hezekiah had got rid of all the Baal worship, all of the idols, and had done all of those things, and after cleansing that, he 
started building once again. Remember, he focused on revitalizing uh, the spiritual climate in the land of Judea. Ahaz, his father, had closed down the temple, shut the doors, but it was Hezekiah that came back and he opened up those doors of the temple after he had repaired them. He made sure that the priest had been cleansed, that the priest would come back in glory and come back in power as well. Once the priest got on board, uh, he opened up the temple and the public started coming to the services again. But notice this, it's not just enough to open up the doors of the temple. He also instituted people again to praise God and begin to pray to God. Friend, it's not just enough we open up our doors here on a Sunday morning. We must be a people that will worship God and praise God and pray to the God who sits high upon the throne today. It's important to get the presence of God back in the midst of the people if he is going to help them to defend the Lamb and to sustain them with whatever battle they're going through. Hezekiah, let's review some of the works that he faithfully did. As mentioned above, he reestablished the service in the temple. He repaired and purified the temple. He gathered the priests and the Levites and ordered them to prepare worship and serve in the temple. He supervised the sacrifices. He supervised the offering and he led the people in worship. Hezekiah celebrated the Passover and he sent messengers to invite the people to come to uh, the Passover. The people came, but they had not been purified. And rather than turn them away, rather than to rebuke them, he prayed for them. And God was pleased with his prayer and God began to heal the people. And the people returned home and they purified the cities. And he established a system of contribution to the temple. People brought in their offering, they brought in their tithe, and they brought in dedicated offerings. Uh, the offering was free will offering. Uh, the tithe with 10% of everything they earned during that time and it went to support the Levites and it went to support the priests. And the dedicated offerings were received in order they might do special projects uh, there for specific purposes. All this was good and all of this was right before the God, the Bible said. Hezekiah, not a bad job. Hezekiah, you're a great king. Hezekiah, you are beginning to revive the spirituality where it was at the lowest point that it could possibly be on the leadership of your father uh, Ahaz. Hezekiah, you've done a great thing, but that did not impress Sennacherib at all. That did not scare uh, the king of Syria at all. I'm uh, here to tell you, even though God was blessing him and blessing the land of Judea and reviving was coming and the presence of God was back in the temple and the priests were doing what the priests ought to do and the people were serving God the way it ought to be served, here comes an enemy out of nowhere and lights upon them like ugly upon a a monkey. And with that being said, uh, Sennacherib was not impressed at all. According to the scripture, Sennacherib had already defeated the land and the nation of Israel. Now Sennacherib thought, we are greater than you. And that was not the point. The point was not that Sennacherib and his armies were greater than Israel, which they might have been. The point is, Israel was living in such a backslidden condition. They no longer supported the law of God. They broke the law of Moses. They were not in covenant with God. And they did those things that displeased God. And therefore, they're covering their shield. And their God had to leave them because they broke covenant. And as a result, the Israel was defeated by Assyria. And they were carried into Assyrian captivity. 
Now Sennacherib, he makes his way to Judea and he captures all the fortified city. So Hezekiah, he sues them and he says, I'm going to try to plead my way out of this. He said, Sennacherib, I will give you $1.5 million if you would just take it and leave us alone. And he began to pull the gold off of the temple doors. He pulled the gold off the doorposts of the temple and he said, take the money and leave us alone. We will bribe you to leave us alone. Just go. We enjoy our prosperity. We enjoy our city. We enjoy our country. We enjoy our freedom to worship. But Sennacherib, he didn't just want the money. He wanted the nation. He went for the juggler. And according to the scripture, we see that Sennacherib, he began to bring all type of rhetoric against the land of Judea. Know what he said. He threw out all types of insults, making fun of Judah's ability or lack thereof to defend themselves in war against that mighty machine called Assyria. He said, you're a fool to trust in Egypt. You'll be a fool to trust in your God. And he also taunted them even further and said, you know what? Hezekiah, I doubt the people in the land of Judea I doubt you've got enough soldiers that could could straddle across 2,000 horses. There's no way you can defeat us. And they even boasted, Assyria did, by saying, God sent us to you to destroy you. And to make matters worse, this was the ignorance of the king Sennacherib. When, 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 when Hezekiah had got rid of all the Baal worship and got rid of all the worship to the false gods, Sennacherib thought that he had cut down the worship and stopped the worship to the true and the living God. That's what he thought. To make matters worse, the Assyrians began to place doubt and spread discord among the people of Judea. Here they come taunting in, says, you all are foolish for trusting in God. You're foolish to listen to, to Hezekiah. He's deceiving you. And the Assyrians were speaking to them in their native language of Hebrew. Do you know what they even said? You'll eat your own feces and you'll drink your own urine by the time we get through with you. They said, don't listen to Hezekiah because he'll never be able to deliver you from our hands. And they brought proof. They just didn't talk the talk. They walked the walk. They walked into the land of Judea and every people group, every nation that the Assyrians defeated in war, they robbed their gods and they took their idols and they brought them the next day and said, look what we did with the gods of of this one. Look what we did to the gods with this one. Here's their gods. We defeated them and their gods. And guess what? Israel, we defeated them and you all worshiped the same God they did. So the God of Israel is no no more greater than these gods that we hold in our hands that were made by the hands of mankind. Well, it might have been the same God of Israel, but two things to point out. Number one, different relationship. Israel had backslidden on God, gone back into Baal worship, gone back into polytheism, broke the covenant of God, no longer living for the Lord. Spiritually, they were going down the porcelain potty. But Hezekiah, he knew God. And he brought the nation back to knowing God and their spirituality was being revived. They got rid of Baal and worshiped the Almighty. They got rid of Ashtaroth and began to worship the Almighty. They got rid of the gods of that day and they began to worship the Almighty God. They said, yeah, you you defeated all of those gods around, but the gods that you defeated were made of man's hand. But we worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We worship the God of Daniel. We worship the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We worship the God that created the world and sustained it. You're not coming against us. You're coming against the almighty God. And that's what he was able to say. Hezekiah, when he got that letter, 
He tore his clothes. He put on sackcloth and he and some other men, they went into the temple. He sent for a prophet because a word from God was needed at that hour. When the enemy began to mess, when the enemy began to throw out threats, when the enemy began to say, look what I've done to everybody around you and you're next on the radar screen, what did he do? He didn't run, he didn't hide, he went to the house of God and he said, I need a word from the Lord. Friend, let me tell you, a wisdom is needed in such an hour. We can't live on yesterday's victory. We can't live on yesterday's word. Positive thinking is not going to help us and human wisdom will not get the job done. Hezekiah went to God's house and he sought for a word from the Lord. He said, this is a day of trouble. Uh, this is a day of insult. Uh, this is a day of dishonor. But in the midst of all the potential trouble on the horizon, there was indeed a word uh, from the living God. It did not come from the mind of man. It came from the heart of God. And the Bible said uh, that Isaiah delivered this message. The Lord says, tell your master not to be troubled by the sneers of the Assyrians have made against me. For the king of Assyria will receive bad news from home and will decide to return and the Lord will see to it that he is killed when he arrives. Now Sennacherib had defined the living God. He, he lists off nation after nation he had defeated. He brought in God after God and idol after idol uh, that he had overcome and they were the epitome of evil and the pity of corrupt power. Assyria was the most powerful, feared group around and now you are in his crosshair. Now you're in the crosshair, but you have one thing. You've heard a word from God. But all you see is the carnage of what has happened to anybody that messed with Assyria. But you got a word from God. But all you hear is what the enemy spitting out of that diabolical mouth. But you have the word of God. But all you see is what the devil says to look at. So we got a choice. Do we look to what we see or do we look to the word of God? Do we look to what we feel or do we look to what the word of God says? That's the battle, friend. That's the battleground. Now, if you're in Hezekiah's shoes, how would you feel this morning? The words of Sennacherib were true. No nation had defeated them up to that point. The words of Sennacherib were true. Judea, you don't have enough soldiers to defeat the army of Assyria. They were the epitome of evil, corrupt power, and the evidence was there. How do you think he felt? First of all, I think he felt some frustration. He had been used of God to rebuild Judea, to bring the spirituality of the land back. They were being blessed of God. The spirituality of the nation was getting back to where it needed to be. It was a good life, a good king. Things were prosperous. Things were going well. But to make matters worth, the people of Judea were no match for such an adversary. Judah was outnumbered, outranked, outmaneuvered, and out of luck as far as the world was concerned. Hezekiah's hands were tied. All the labor that he had done was about to be taken away, going down the porcelain potty. How do you think he felt? I think frustration. I think he also had to feel some desperation. By definition, desperation means a state of despair, typically one which results in rash or extreme behavior. In times of desperation, people are noted for doing some crazy things. Leaders often sell out to the highest bidder. We compromise certain things just to save our own hide. Sometimes we give the problem to somebody else and kick it on down the road, but not so with Hezekiah. When he received a letter from the devil, from the Assyrian king, you know what he did? He read it and he went to the temple and he spread that thing out before the Lord. In his frustration and in his desperation, he did whatever child of God ought to do, take it to the Lord. 
And don't just take it to the Lord, but leave it with the Lord. And thirdly, he had to feel some intimidation. Put yourself in his shoes. Sennacherib boasted of all of his accomplishments. He brought the sacred idols and the, all the gods that he had defeated and shook them in the face of, of Hezekiah and shook them in the face of the soldiers and shook them in the face of the people of Judea. Intimidation brings fear. It exposes our weaknesses and it exposes all of our vulnerabilities. You know, Israel had experienced that in days gone by. We're grasshoppers in their sight. There are many, we're few, they're big, we're small. We don't have anything, they've got a lot. Friends, intimidation is paralyzing. And we're surrounded by enemies. We're surrounded by sickness and disease. We're surrounded by pain and suffering. We're surrounded by enemies from without, enemies from within. Intimidation comes in because we're vulnerable. I think he also, Hezekiah, had to feel an obligation. He was obligated to the people he served, but he was also obligated to the God that he served. And he realized the enemy was big, but God was bigger. The enemy is bigger and more powerful than his army. He realized that he was standing before the Goliath of his day. But he understood he served the God who destroyed the Goliath in any day of any week. It was a characteristic of Hezekiah to take his problems to the Lord. And I greatly admire an individual that can take their problems to the Lord and leave it there. We often bring our problems to God and we give them the litany and what's going on. Then we turn around and pick them up and walk out the door with them again. Bring it to the Lord and leave it. Casting your care upon him because he cares for you. Now when Hezekiah spread the letter out before the Lord, he also opened, opened up a moving prayer to God. It could be considered a prayer of frustration. It could be considered a prayer out of desperation. But indeed was a prayer of faith. I want you to notice in the King James Version, he offered up a prayer to God consisting of 134 words. 134 words. In fact, he asked God to deliver the whole nation by God's power, and that answer came. Hear the request he made to God. Bow down your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see. Hear the words of Sennacherib, which he sent to reproach you. I beseech you, save us out of his hand, that all the kingdoms of earth may know that you are the only true God. That is like a selfish prayer. Then after the prayer of this, Isaiah gave God's answer. There was a 486-word answer to a 134-word prayer. Which tells me God has more to say about the situation than all of our fears, than all of our frustrations, and all of our desperations that we may face against the enemy. Let me say that again. He prayed 134 words in his prayer, and God answered it by speaking 486 words to the answer. Isaiah sent the message to Hezekiah. The Lord God of Israel says, I have heard you. Glory to God. I have heard you. I submit to you. God has heard you. Hallelujah. God hears. God moves. There's no enemy that can defeat our God. There's no enemy that can destroy the Lord inside you. There's no enemy that can destroy the church of the firstborn whose names are written down the Lamb's Book of Life. We may have battles, yes. We may have fears, yes. There may be days of desperation. But I believe in Mount Calvary. I believe in an empty tomb. I believe in an upper room. I believe in a God who will maintain his word and maintain his integrity no matter what enemy that we face. Hallelujah.
And my command concerning the king of Assyria is that he shall not enter the city. He shall not stand before it with shield, nor build a ramp against this wall, nor even shoot an arrow into it. He shall run by the road he came, for I will defend and save this city for the sake of my own name and for the sake of my servant David. All the man had was the word. But that night the angel of the Lord came by and 185,000 soldiers were killed. King Sennacherib went back to Nineveh faster than when he came. He went back to the temple in Nineveh and worshipped his god Nishrach. And while he was in the temple worshipping this false god, two of his sons came in and killed him. Don't mess with God's glory. Don't mess with God's kids. Don't mess with God's will. Don't mess with God's word. Don't mess with the God of all glory and the King of all kings. Thank God, sad ending for uh, Syria, but a good beginning for the land of Judea. What enemies attacking you today? We watch sin conquer so many of our kids and our loved ones. We have sown so many strongholds, tire friends and family members in knots as if though they're like in the, uh, uh, the squeeze of a, tyf- uh, 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 a snake uh, that will not, python that will not let them go. We have seen dreaded disease like cancer and COVID and other deadly diseases far too long having us bodies bound too long. The enemy holds the carcasses over our eyes, much like Sennacherib held the idols of the defeated nation over the eyes of the people of Judea. But Hezekiah went to the Lord. He gave the bad news letter to the Lord. He laid it out in the temple, and he prayed and believed God for an answer. But notice this. God brought the answer in word first. We want God to come down and jerk us out. God will always give us a word. The enemy was still coming, but God gave a word. Assyria was still coming. I almost see the ears of the horses laid back as they gallop in the wind and the dust coming up from the hoofs as they were running, coming toward them. We're going to get you. We're going to get you in a crosshair. But Isaiah stood on the word of God. There was no miracle to it. He stood on the word of God. God gave him a word. I have heard your prayer. And he stood and he stood. And the enemy comes and goes. But he stands and having done all to stand, stand therefore with the armor of God on and let the Lord fight the battle. The battle belongs to him. Nowhere does the Bible tell us to fight the devil. He tells us to fight the good fight of faith. And he stood on God's word. Notice something else. Hezekiah had no earthly idea how God was going to answer that prayer. And here's where we start to play God. We stand before an enemy. He lies. He tells him, I'm going to kill. I'm going to rob. I'm going to destroy. And he's good at what he does. What the enemy says he does, he does. But what's going to make it different for us? We're living for Christ. We're living in his word. We're not out here practicing sin. We're under his blood. We're doing what he says to do. We're standing on his word. But we play God. Now, God, you're going to do it this way. You're going to answer prayer this way. We want you to do it this way. And God says, just go on with all your ideas. I've got a thousand ways to answer every prayer. So you just hold there on my word. Now notice something else, if you will, from the scripture. Assyria was a war machine. He stood on God's word, but he let God fight the battle. And guess when the battle took place? At night. When do we worry the most? 
At night. When does fever get the highest? At night. When does the problem seem to exacerbate? Is at night. When does it seem to be the worst? The devil speaks the loudest at night when you can't see nothing. When all you do is feel the enemy. You feel the pains of death. You feel the devil burn down your, your, your shirt collar with lies and innuendos and all the bad things that you've done and what you should. But it's at night. God's working at night. For never 12 o'clock going to be midnight. 12 o'clock is also midday. Darkness may be for the night. Weeping may be for the night. But joy comes in the morning. Why? I stand on the Word of God. I'm going to tell you, friend, that's the battle is the Word you stand upon. When all the things in front of you said 180 degrees, contrary to what you're believing, but you stand on the Word. Amen. And at nighttime, the devil was getting the heyday. But at nighttime, the angel of the Lord came by. And they awakened in the morning and 185,000 troops dead all over the landscape of that particular day. Why? How did it happen, Pastor? I have heard your prayer. Now, friend, if we don't pray, he can't work. If we don't believe what we pray, he can't confirm. God has given us a word. How many is in a battle today, but you've got a word from God? Come on, stand on that word. And if you're here and you can't raise your hand because you don't have a word, let me encourage you. Get hold of God. It's not going to go away by osmosis. It's not going to go away uh, just because you're a child of God. The enemy's not going to run because you're Pentecostal. The enemy's not going to run because of what God did for you last week. But if you'll get in that prayer closet and get hold of the God upon the throne and spread that thing out before God and say, Lord, for the sake of your word and according to your will, do this great thing that will bring glory and honor to your name. Let the devil know you're a God in the church. Let the world know that you're a in your church. Let disease know you're alive in the church. Let disease know that Jesus is greater than anything that we face today. Hallelujah. Get hold of God and hear the word and stand on the word of the living God. Hallelujah. That's where the battle comes because we want the answer. We want it instantly. But God says, I've got this thing. I'm just delivering to you what I felt God delivered to me. I have heard your prayer. I am not God and I can't work it out. I'm just the messenger today. I read a story years ago that captivated my mind. I don't know if I heard it or read it to be honest with you. The man was a pastor. He felt a tumor growing in his back. It aggravated him. He didn't know what it was. He went to the doctor that diagnosed his tumor. It's growing and growing. It was malignant and the doctor looked at the man and said after all of our tests it's probably a little bit too late but we'll operate we'll do chemotherapy or radiation whatever it takes to try to pull your life out a little longer but it's almost too late if we do anything at all there's no chance a strong chance you're going to survive but there's hope you and your wife talk about it the doctor excused himself 10 minutes later so he came back in What's your verdict? What do you want us to do? What steps do we need to take? And the preacher said, Doc, and I'm paraphrasing, Doc, we appreciate all you do. But if you don't mind, we're just going to trust God. I don't know what that looks like. I'm I'm not uh, hyper faith. I just, in my heart of hearts, feel like I just need to trust God. And after the doctor talked back and forth, they said, okay. They go home and Week in and week out, the pain gets greater and greater. It intensifies. 
He can almost feel the tumor growing with each passing week in his back. And the enemy's sitting right here saying, you a fool, you're going to die. You should have had surgery. You should have had the chemo. Who do you think you are? You're nothing. You're nobody. You're going to die. What a testimony you're going to leave. What preacher are you? And he'd reach around and touch it. You fool. You fool. Feel it. Feel it. You're a fool. That's the voice he heard. You ever thought about this? If we're a fool for trusting God, why is the devil telling us we're a fool? There must be something we're doing right for him to even be concerned. Does that make sense? Amen. As long as he's chasing you, he doesn't have you. Come on. It's when the chase gives up. And finally the Lord said, don't touch it. Praise me. Stand on my word. Amen. Praise me. Amen. Stand on my word. Yes. And he did. In that battle, there were nights they said he would go to the floor in the living room and just lay on his stomach and cry out for the mercies of God in pain, in pain. And all he could do to keep from reaching around and touching the devil, screaming, touch it, you're a fool, you're going to die, touch it. And one day, he heard the voice of the Spirit of God. Today, son, you can touch it. And it was gone. It was gone. I'm not God. I've heard stories like that 180 degrees ops as well, and so have you. But I know one thing. I would rather die standing on God's word than bowing down to any enemy of my soul. Amen. But the only thing that the devil can do is take this body, but he can never touch the triumphal spirit on the inside of it. Amen. I shall not die, but I shall live, saith Amen. the Lord. Amen. What's your need this morning, church? What enemy do you face that's big, powerful, stronger than you are, mightier than you are? What letter, what lie has he spoke to your heart? May I encourage you? Take it before the Lord. Read it. Spread it out and say, hey, God, this is what the enemy said and this is what the enemy's doing. But I belong to you and you belong to me. This battle is your God. I don't know what you're going to do about it. Don't know when you're going to eradicate it. Don't know. I don't know. I leave the results to you, but I know one thing. Give me a word to stand upon in the midst of it. And if you and I will stand on the word of God, I will guarantee you, according to this book, the God who gave us the word will stand by us. He said, I will do all you ask or think of me. Paul said, no, he will do above all I ask or think of him. No, he said he would do abundantly above all we ask or think of him. But Paul, to get the point across, said, No, my God will do exceeding abundantly above all you ask or think of me. We serve a God of power, of might, of purpose, and of promise. A promise. And the promises of God are maybe sometimes, and yes, no, the promises of God are yea and amen. 